Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Burdick, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Friday, August 5th. It's been pretty quiet in our neighborhood this past week. I think most people with or without kids are on vacation. It should be pretty quiet this week, too. And then watch out. If you're in a fixing the healthcare system, you should be watching out for unexplained variations in healthcare spending by payer and by region. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's episode of the Roundup, courtesy of two new reports. The first is a study in JAMA on geographic variation in health spending by payer. And the second is a study in health affairs on geographic variation in health spending by payer. Maybe these researchers should have talked first before they started their studies. Each study starts with the phrase, little is known. Well, not anymore. Okay, enough health services research sarcasm to tell us why these studies are important and what they say about moving the industry forward are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? This is my favorite time of year to eat. I'm looking forward to chowing down on gobs of corn on the cob in the next few weeks. Just thinking about it makes me hungry. <laughs> are you a butter salt guy, Dave? Are you going with that Mexican street corn or you have a favorite recipe? Butter salt, although I've gotten very good now at putting the entire husk into the microwave and then pulling it off mm-hmm. so you don't get the strings. Wow, very good. Julie, how are you? I am good. It is Seafair Week or Seafair Weekend in Seattle. So I had the Blue Angels buzzing my house yesterday as they were practicing. That was fun. House was shaking. It was loud. Let me just say I couldn't be on the conference calls I was on. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Now, before we talk about these two new reports, I wanted to ask you about your experiences in healthcare price variation, you know, geographic or otherwise. Dave, have you ever paid different prices for the same thing, depending on who your payer was or what part of the country you lived in? Well, we've lived in Chicago for almost 30 years and always had Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois health insurance. So we don't have much personal experience in price variation across state lines or across payers, except when that payer is us. (laughs) It's remarkable how much lower prices are for routine treatments and diagnostics when we price shop and pay cash. You know, for example, Terry and I both got a B12 shot a couple of weeks ago for just 10 bucks at a local urgent care center. That price would have been orders of magnitude higher if we'd gotten those shots in the doctor's office. Interesting. Thanks, Dave. Julie, how about you? Uh, you moved around a little bit. Any differences in prices for the same medical service depending on where you lived? Yeah, I think I've talked about this example once before, but I'll put some specifics around it. When our family moved from one of the large national plans to a regional blues plan in New England, actually, my son's medication went from under $100 a month to somewhere in the $400 range a month. Same medication. Oh. Yeah. Whoa, that's right. So this this happens. Yeah. No, great example. For me, I've never lived anywhere other than in or around Chicago, so I haven't experienced any price variation by location. But I'm sure I mentioned this on a previous show. I I did need a tetanus shot a few years ago. The ER probably would have cost me at least a thousand bucks or more out of pocket. 
Urgent care would have cost me about $200 out of pocket. So I ended up going to our local pharmacy and it cost me $48 out of pocket and no lap job. So that that worked out. Dave, uh, no one could ever accuse you of having lockjaw. So let me get your reaction to this first study in JAMA. Researchers looked at claims data from about 25 million people with private health insurance through their employer, about 70 million Medicaid recipients, and about 27 million Medicare beneficiaries. And here's what they found. Annual health spending varied significantly by payer. for privately insured patients, $6,127 for Medicaid recipients, and $10,281 for Medicare beneficiaries. And when they broke those numbers down by hospital referral region, only three cities consistently had the lowest spending numbers by all three payers, Boulder, Colorado, Bloomington, Illinois, and Olympia, Washington. And four areas consistently had the highest spending numbers by all three payers. The Bronx, New York, Manhattan, White Plains, New York, and Dallas. Everyone else was all over the map, so to speak. Dave, what do the findings say to you? How do you explain this crazy quilt of spending? And what should it mean for payment reform? Three things before I dive into your question, Dave. First, I want to give a shout out to the study's lead authors, Zach Cooper from Yale and Jonathan Skinner from Dartmouth. They're two of my favorite healthcare economists and do great work. Second, the lack of media coverage this study received surprised all of us. The only article we collectively could find on this study came from the publication RevCycle Intelligence. That tells us how anecdotal media coverage on healthcare prices has become healthcare prices and healthcare spending. Third, the data for this study comes from 2017. A lot's happened since then. Believe it or not, Zach and Jonathan got this study to print quickly in in academic terms. That speaks for their sterling reputations and good for them. But the healthcare market is very dynamic. And the fact we make policy decisions based on such data data increases the potential for error significantly. Now to the study itself, the variation in spending by region and payer is breathtaking. The study's authors were right to focus on spending rather than prices. That encompasses both the volume of care delivered and the payment for that care. While the authors of both studies we're talking about today contend that little is known, your phrase, Dave, and their phrase, about the specifics of spending variation across payers and regions, We certainly know why this happens, and there are two principal reasons. First one, despite all the attempts to standardize treatment protocols, physician practice patterns or preferences drive much of the variation in spending in terms of how much care is delivered, how intensive that care is, how mistake-prone it is, and how reliant it is on unnecessary and expensive drugs and devices. That's the reason that per capita Medicare costs are twice as high in Miami as Seattle, people aren't twice as sick. The bottom line, it is remarkable how much delivered care in the United States is not evidence-based. Second, the smartest people in healthcare are revenue cycle executives. They spend every waking hour figuring out how to optimize revenues and profits within the complex payment formularies that payers devise to reimburse providers for the care they deliver. Spending differentials reflect this give and take between government payers and providers 
as well as the relative negotiating levels of payers and providers within specific regional markets to set rates favorable to them. So payers with more negotiating leverage win, providers with more negotiating leverage win, those without negotiating leverage don't win. And this explains why there is so little correlation across payers within regions. In terms of what this means for payment reform, the authors basically get it right when they conclude with the following, quote, these findings suggest that payer-specific factors are correlated with health spending variation among Medicare beneficiaries, Medicaid beneficiaries, and the commercially insured, and that payer-specific policies will be necessary to improve efficiency in the U.S. health sector. It's a little dry, but spot on. My words, it's the payment, stupid. We're not going to change the way we deliver care until we change the way we pay for care. As the system shifts toward full-risk bundles for episodic care and capitation for population health, these wicked, smart revenue cycle professionals will turn their attention to cost accounting and get the physicians in line. Per unit cost of care will coalesce and decline. The number of care units will decline, and the quality of those units will improve. Guess what that's called? Value-based care. I hope Zach and Jonathan redo their study in five years with real-time data. My guess, my hope, and my fervent prayer is that they'll find much less spending variation across all payers and all regions. A, a very passionate analysis there, Dave. I wonder if anybody says... Uh... They want their kid to grow up to be a revenue cycle expert. Has, has anybody ever said that? <laughs> uh, that and read Rev Cycle Intelligence, you know, every morning when they get up. Right. Well, that's what I ended up doing that, so I guess it's possible. <laughs> Just what your parents wanted for you, Dave. Just exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Where's Mad Magazine when you got Rev Cycle Intelligence, right? All right, Julie, any questions for Dave? Well, Dave, you know, variation in Medicaid more than Medicare continues to sort of surprise me just given how regulated both those programs are, but obviously regional pricing reigns and Medicaid rates have always been an issue for providers. So is there some fix here that we need or is variation a necessary evil in Medicaid due to just cost of living and other issues, you know, inherent to different regions? Yeah, that's a deep question. I mean, the superficial answer, why Medicaid is more variable than Medicare is the states design their, their Medicaid program. So we got 51 of those if you throw in Washington, D.C., and of course, just one Medicare program for the entire country. But within those state programs, some states use Medicaid pricing to restrict access and limit costs. That's clearly not an optimal outcome. Other states, notably Massachusetts, North Carolina, Minnesota, California, and some others are now trying to look more holistically at Medicaid and take a, a whole health approach. And so we're seeing a focus as much on health, well-being, and prevention as on healthcare treatment. But at the end of the day, it comes down to dollars available and dollars spent the good thing about Medicaid is, in the states that I mentioned, is they're trying to be smarter about total cost of care. The bad thing about many of the states I didn't mention is they just squeeze the Medicaid budget as, as low as possible, and that has 
disproportionately detrimental effects on lower income um, populations. It's part of the reason that we see infant and maternal mortality so high among black and brown populations. So the less superficial answer to your question is Medicaid pricing policies across the country reflect structural racism and how we approach populations. And the only way we're really going to turn it around is to really focus on healthcare access and equity in ways that matter. So making the right care available in all parts of the country, not just the more affluent areas. Yeah, spending has a direct impact on outcomes. Thanks, Dave. Now let's talk about the second study that appeared in Health Affairs. The researchers here looked at variations in health spending by payer and by state, not by hospital referral region. And here's what they found. The three states with the highest annual spending per resident were Alaska at $14,500, the District of Columbia at $14,080, and New York at $12,480. The three states with the lowest annual spending per resident were Utah at $7,250, Arizona at $8,220, and Nevada at $8,270. Then they looked at spending by payer in each state with, again, some interesting variations in the findings. For example, in Alaska, 42% of the spending was out of pocket compared with 12% out of pocket in D.C. That was the high and low for out of pocket spending by residents. Uh, Julie, what's your reaction to the findings? Any surprises? Is there anything the uh, market can do in terms of care innovations to level the spending playing field? Well, like most of the media outlets, I almost can't handle another discussion about cost variation, honestly. You know, it reminds me of Atul Gawande's path and here from McAllen, Texas, Dave, which you mentioned recently, which blamed overutilization on the part of entrepreneurial physicians. And then then Camden, New Jersey, which blamed the overutilizers themselves and suggested, you know, Arnie Milstein's famous hotspotting approach to add in outpatient care and social service to help deal with costs. And then Gawande went on to really be a proponent of ACOs, which we've been trying to pull off since the ACA. And then he blamed surgeries when he went to Haven. I mean, this has been a journey of trying to headline what's really happening here. And and then, you know, Uli Reinhardt comes in, God rest his soul, and says, wait a minute, the U.S. actually consumes fewer services than other high-income countries. So Dave, it's like you wrote it yourself. It's the price is stupid, not the quantity of care. So this has been a debate forever. And I mean, it's mind-numbing to talk about this, but I really did try to dig in to figure out what surprised me this time. And I was surprised by the statement that variation in spending across states was much higher in recent years than in the early 2000s, which I'd like to read into that. It's a super naive and green, but I'd like to read into that, that maybe some states are actually making progress. So I'm going to be hopeful that that's the case. And, you know, I I was quite pleased to see that this study in particular noted that Medicaid expansion was associated with 1% increase in total spending across states, which represents a super small fraction of the variation in spending and pales in comparison to other factors that affect healthcare spending, like household income and consumer prices and other things that they studied. So I was thrilled to see the study put 
in headlights, Medicaid expansion, not driving spending up as many people would say it does. As a matter of fact, they found that you know, private insurance costs were lower in expansion states compared to non-expansion states. So there's a, a lot to be uncovered there. But Dave, your question was really about innovations and how it can level the playing field. And given that this study really supports investing in prevention and outpatient care and a lot of the things that we talk about to curb spending growth, we know that so many of the digital and you know service model innovations are all about this more personalized models that attract people into primary care and preventative care models like women's health models, LGBTQ models, Asian models. These are pulling people into the right kinds of services. Home-based care, talked about a lot. Obviously, the proliferation of ambulatory surgery centers and other specialty care centers outside of acute care settings. Remote monitoring, wearables to inform data-driven healthy behavior. I mean, the list goes on. So. I look at innovation as, well, sometimes being accused of increasing the volume of services. And we're still learning a lot about what total cost looks like when you invest upstream. That They all should be preventing downstream hospital costs. And that's what they're trying to do. Interesting. I mean, there should be a study on innovation by state, right? Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? Well, Julie, I feel your fatigue on these studies about pricing variation, which we've had for what seems like forever. And I bet if we did a study on the number of academics studying pricing variation, we'd see a steady upward drift to the right. (laughs) (laughs) That's a cottage industry, that's for sure. That's right. But uh, variation is us when it comes to U.S. healthcare prices. You know, see what I did there? Clever wordplay on us in U.S. Nice work. Yeah. Anyway, since healthcare has a mature service mix, clinicians know what to do when individuals present with specific symptoms at least 75 to 80% of the time. This differential treatment behavior, consumption behavior, expenditure behavior is really quite surprising. In normal markets, prices for commodity products and services converge, but healthcare prices and by extension expenditures are diverging. Julie, just as you said, it's actually been getting worse rather than better. Several companies in recent years, most notably Castlight, have believed that casting light on pricing discrepancies, more clever wordplay there, would influence purchasing behavior for the better. But for the most part, Pricing transparency hasn't influenced purchasing behaviors, and these companies have faltered. Why do you think that is? Should we give up on pricing transparency as a reform tool? And if not, how can we make it more effective? Oh, it's too early to have such a hard question. (laughs) Hey, I had to talk about Uh, structural racism. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I would never want to see us give up on transparency as a reform tool, but we still have not shifted enough of the cost burden to the consumer to make transparency really materially impactful. When you have health systems that are continuing to roll up into larger systems and have purchasing power with health plans like we've not seen in the past, right? It just, that continues to get worse. And, you know, Health Evolution years ago, probably a decade ago at this point, we really tried to put a a discussion together about the pricing power that providers were building. And of course, 
it's very hard to get anyone to really talk about it on the provider side. But the more we can do what we've been doing around driving public recognition of pricing transparency and almost using it against the brand of some of these providers. Listen, I health systems are doing God's work. It is so hard today. And a lot of them I talk to are losing money across the board in every service line. So we're at a crossroads now where some providers have prices that we would be shocked to see, but they still can't make money because of their fixed infrastructure. And now, unfortunately, workforce costs. So we are at a a very tough juncture and I don't want transparency to get lost in the mix today. We need to keep focusing. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's great, Julie. Thank you. Variety is the spice of life, I guess, except when it comes to healthcare spending. Great discussion this morning. Now let's briefly talk about other news this week. Julie, what other news happened this week that caught your attention? Well, I've just been noticing more and more how the federal government is just out to get United Health Group. I don't know if you've been reading some of these articles, but we might be in an, an interesting moment of breakup of that company. I, I can't believe what I'm reading these days. You're talking about the Change Healthcare proposed acquisition? Yes, but it seems to be fueling a lot more fire to how big United's getting. Interesting. Thank you. Dave, any other news blip on your radar screen this week? I'm watching the drug bill that the Democrats are trying to push through Congress. For the first time, it would give CMS the ability to negotiate directly with manufacturers for certain drugs. It's a lobbying hullabaloo. Big pharma's throwing the kitchen sink at this. The potential savings numbers are huge, although the nonpartisan CBO concluded that the new legislation would lead to higher initial prices for newly approved drugs. Nowhere is the monstrous healthcare industrial complex more on display than in policy discussions on drug prices and payment. Lost amid the money machinations and maneuvering is whether the drugs really do work, aka auto helm, and ensuring access to all Americans when they do. So let's see. Yeah, it's definitely driving ad revenue on CNN because there are a lot of commercials on that proposed legislation. Thanks, Dave, and thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And if you follow our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite streaming service, you'll get notified each time a new episode is available. And don't forget to tell a friend about Foresight Friday Roundup. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.